Thank you so much for tuning into this new episode of the Dagger Revamped. For those of you who are wondering when we will talk about the Tommy Lloyd hiring, that will be after our interview with Taylor James. So basically what happened was our first segment and the Taylor James interview was done Tuesday night, which was the night prior to Tommy Lloyd being announced as Arizona's new head coach. So basically the breakdown of Sean Miller's firing and what Arizona was looking for in a new head coach was done in the first segment and the interview with Taylor James. After that is the Tommy Lloyd hiring and what we thought of it. So stay, stay strapped in for this. It's going to be a great episode and hope you guys enjoy. And welcome into this new episode of the Dagger Revamped. I'm Justin Pierce here alongside Corey Kennedy and a special guest for this week's episode. The one and only Nyland Masters, former student body president, and she worked alongside some of the athletic, um, some some big names in athletics. So uh, Nyland, welcome to the show. And, uh, you know, it's great to have you on. Thank you for having me. I'm super excited to be here. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, there's been a lot of stuff going around with uh, Arizona and some of the firings and hirings that they've done over the past three months. I mean, what do you make of that with the football programs and men's basketball programs going through uh, big rebuilding stages? I think it's good. I'm super excited. I've always been a big fan of watching U of A sports. Um, Arizona sports was one of the main reasons why I chose to go to that university, just wanting to be in that atmosphere. But I think it's good. I think it's nice to get a fresh start, get some new people in there and get that rebuild. I mean, we've seen what it, does, what it has done for women's basketball. So the the ceiling, we have so much far to go for the other sports as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Thanks so much, Natalie, for hopping on the podcast. I'm super excited to get into it. Um, and so but before we get going into the sports side of everything, I wanted to talk about your time as student body president. And so mainly, you know, what made you want to get into being the, you know, the, pre the eventual president of the U, U of A and, um, you know, what were some, some of your favorite parts about um, being the student body president? Yeah, I mean, student body president was crazy. I ran on a whim, like I honestly wasn't going to, I was junior year, people had been like, hey, I was already in student government, I was in it since freshman year, just doing small roles here and there, and then people were like, you should run, you should run, and I was like, no, I don't think that that's my cup of tea. That seems like a big campaign, a lot of things to work with, but then I ended up doing it. And then it was so incredibly fun. Like just the campaign itself, walking around campus, meeting people was outstanding. And then when I found out I won, I was like, wait, really? Like people saw yeah, yeah. results and I was like, okay, y'all, this is not a joke. Like, don't play like that. And they're like, yeah, you won, you won. And so it was life-changing. I loved every minute of being president. It was definitely very challenging, but I loved getting to meet students and then getting to see kind of behind the scenes of how the university operates was awesome. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you, I mean, you worked it with the ins and outs of uh, being the student body president. I should have known that at the beginning. I don't know why. I don't know what happened. My brain froze or something, but you, <laughs> you, you worked with the ins and outs of the school and um, got to be around some very, very exclusive group of people I mean what was your favorite part about doing about being the student body president and then um, you know working and learning with all sorts of different people as well 
I think the biggest thing was just meeting the people who like make those decisions, right? Like if you go to the university, you're like, okay, obviously something has to happen, how these things operate, but we don't know who they are. And so meeting Dave Hickey, the athletic director, um, having long conversations with Dr. Robbins, the president, and like meeting those type of folks on campus that are kind of making a lot of those main decisions was incredible. And then being oftentimes the only student in some of those meetings, being able to share student issues and hear their voices and hearing like what they use to make decisions on campus was out was incredible. Absolutely. Yeah, you talk about being the voice for the students. One awesome thing that I got to see too was your commencement speech at the U of A and in front of a packed uh, Arizona stadium. I mean, probably 50, I mean, probably 50,000 people, 45, 50,000 people. Hopefully we can get the football team games like that um, sold out like that. But what was it like preparing for that speech? And, you know, just all the people that came up and the guest speakers, President Robbins, um, what was it like preparing for that? And then you're on the mic here and you're, you know, what does it feel like to be in front of 50,000 like that? It was super nerve wracking before I was like writing my speech because you have to send it in like multiple weeks in advance for them to like approve it, make sure you've given like a specific time segment. They're like, mm-hmm. you have a minute and 30 seconds to speak. Don't go over that because it's like yeah. based out for how they do commencement. So I'm like timing. So going over again, I said, okay, what if I speak too slow, too fast? Like was super nervous. Yeah. So I got up there and we did rehearsals the night before. And even though there's so many people in the crowd, I couldn't see anybody. Like when you go to speak, it's like completely dark. You can't see the oh, crowd, wow. which was super nice. Cause I was like, I would be so nervous out here looking at faces and doing all this type of stuff. So it was super nice. It was less, less stressful than I thought it would be to give the speech. And it was awesome. Cause I got to meet Mae Jemison because she was our keynote speaker and like meeting a black woman who's first woman in space was like super cool um having dinner with Dr. Robbins and stuff was definitely a highlight of graduation that's awesome yeah yeah I mean talk about that I mean you you've been around President Robbins you've been around athletic director Dave Hickey I mean what is that like uh just being uh, just being around two two big names around campus with an athletic director and then the president of the school I mean just how 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 was that for you and I mean what was your experience like with both of them as student body as student body president of course yeah I had a really great time with both of them they're pretty awesome guys and just really down to earth um Dr. Robbins is very much an open door you can talk to him about just about anything which made my times as, as president a lot easier and then with Dave Hickey he's super fun very energetic guy mm-hmm always wants to have a good time, um, which was also very helpful because when I was able to go to the women's basketball tournament in San Antonio, um, Dave was one of the people I reached out to to hear about tickets and different things like that to get involved with the games. Yeah, that's awesome. And so I definitely want to go into that about how you were at the games, but quickly too, uh, for people that don't know, uh, Natalyn's currently a teacher out in San Antonio um, where the women's tournament was played this year and and, uh, teaching seventh grade. So you know, talk about, you know, we're on Zoom right now. It's been such a crazy year with Zoom and school and, you know, talk about, you know, teaching seventh graders and, uh, and then, you know, how crazy it's been for teachers this year and huge, huge props to you and all the teachers that are teaching during the pandemic and just in teaching in general, such an amazing job for, you know, for the youth and everything. Oh yeah. So this year has been crazy to say the least. Um, so I've been out in San Antonio for two years now. I came right after graduation to teach And I've loved it. The middle schoolers are an energetic group of kids. They're always running around doing something, get involved in trouble. 
but I've loved every second of it. And then Zoom has just made it an extra challenge. We try to do a lot more games, get the kids involved, but this year has definitely been very different because I have kids in person, I have kids that are virtual. And so it's just a different level of like stress and balance for me as a teacher and then also the kids as well to figure out how to balance work, doing all of their assignments and get everything focused on time. I tell them all the time, they're like adults, they're like given all this responsibility at such a young age, like 12 years old and have Zoom schedule all day for eight hours. It's crazy. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, I mean, teaching must be tough. I mean, you were, like Corey said, you were in San Antonio, you live in San Antonio and and I mean, the women's women's team was there for the final four. So, I mean, talk about that. What was that like for you to see? I mean, one one of the best teams at the school be in your city and then to have them go to the national championship and get as close as they did winning the national championship. I mean, what was that like for you being there at the at those games? Yeah, it was like a perfect stroke of luck. Like I was um, watching the tournament begin. I have a cousin who plays for um, High Point. So she was um, in the first seat that actually played UConn the very first round. So I was like, okay, cool. I'll follow the games. I was like, this is super lucky. Like San Antonio, living here, it's just crossing. And so I got to watch my cousin play, which was super cool. And I was like, okay, you know, I'll follow you away. We'll see what we're doing. See what kind of noise we're going to make. And then I was like, okay, winning. We keep winning. We keep winning. I was like, okay, I can't just watch this from a TV anymore. Like I need to go to the games. (laughs) So I started reaching out to people and figuring out how I could get some tickets so I could see U of A play in person and, you know, show up and give that pride and bear down like everyone knows we can. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that has to be awesome to, you know, be out there. I, you know, I was looking at it. And so in California here, the in- indoor stadium stuff has been shut down for a year. I think it'll finally open up for the Lakers soon, the indoor stuff, Lakers and Clippers. Um, but yeah, so when I saw that you had, you actually had extra tickets too on your social media, <laughs> you posted that. And I immediately typed in how far it was going to be to get from Orange County to San Antonio. And it was like 16 plus hours. I was like, ah, oh, that's a little too far for me. But, right. uh, but, uh, but being, being there in person, what is it? And Aaron McDonald too just got drafted third overall in the WNBA draft to the Atlanta, Atlanta Dream. What was it like seeing Aaron McDonald in that run? Because it's such an historic run that she scored those back-to-back 30-point games. What was it like seeing her play in person, seeing Adia Barnes do what she does and everything like that? Yeah, I was just in awe. And I think it was just a lot of times, I feel like a lot of people knew what she could do, but I feel like she just never still got that recognition. Like she was still mm-hmm. never talked about where I felt that she should have been. And so being able to see her on that stage in the final four and getting to play in the tournament and just really showcasing all of her talent and having the stadium like filled with U of A people. Like even though we were in San Antonio, U of A travels. Like there was so many people in the stands wearing their letter A and like cheering, you would see them in the uh, concession stands and everything, everywhere. And so having that crowd, I felt like I was back at McHale. Like it was so loud, people were cheering and just having that energy, it was like back at school. I was (laughs) excited to be there. Yeah, I mean, just overall too, I mean, just have, I mean, just seeing the women's team go as far as they did and having, I mean, just having that experience. I mean, what do you like, how are you going to describe that experience when you talk about it to everyone else? Because I mean, not a lot of people can go to sporting events in 2020 and 2021. And you were one of the few people that did go to an Arizona sporting event. I mean, the PAC 12, not having anything at all at any Mm -hmm. of their venues this year. I mean, um, just describe one word that you would say 
um, would fit that experience that you that you had in San Antonio that weekend? I w- one word I would probably say speechless. Like when I took, cause it's been two years since I've graduated. And so I miss going to the games. I miss mm-hmm. that atmosphere that U of A, like anyone who's been to a game knows what I'm talking about. And so being able to have that be recreated, especially with COVID, especially with everything that we've been dealing with um, in 2020 and this year, 21, like just being able to be in that crowd and relive those moments, I was speechless. Like it was truly incredible. And it just made me very hopeful for the future and excited when I can catch another U of A game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, McHale Center is such a fun place too. If people, if you haven't been out there, it's it's, it's got to be on your bucket list for one of the most amazing indoor events that you can see. Um, but so the, the the final four game and the final game, you know, both were, I mean, especially in the final game, that was a nail biter, but final four game against going against Paige Buckets in UConn, who's just the, you know, women's basketball powerhouse. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, and it's crazy, uh, you know, I guess we talked about that game first. How crazy would to see, was it to see you know, I mean, U of A kind of dominated that game. It, you know, they, it seemed like they had at least a five, 10 point lead. And it was like, so what was that thought there? Were you just like, oh, what is going on? How are they, you know, how are they pulling us off? And, and kind of, you kind of talked about it too, but the atmosphere too of the U of A fans and everything like that during that historic win. Yeah, it was energizing. Like I went in, charged up, um, like you talked about with the tickets that I had available. So I ended up bringing two of my former students. I'm like, looking. Okay and pushing them to go to U of A like I'm on yeah. with my middle school recruiting going yeah. oh yeah absolutely yeah. I'm starting early and so I got them in their gear I was like you got to wear the right colors or else you can't get into the game with me but just being there just watching us take charge from the jump right when that game started we were showing UConn like hey the rest of the world might have counted us out yes we were a third seed but people didn't think that we were going to do too much like we're here, we're going to play and you may be UConn, but we can beat you. And they showed that the entire night, the dominance, the cheering, the just energy in the stadium was incredible the whole time. Yeah. And I, I kind of wanted to go back to um, you being student body president for a second, because um, I know you were involved with every major decision basically on campus. So um, just for you to see the kind of changes that have happened in the athletic department over the last three months, as someone who is in on all the intel with some some of these some of these uh, um, higher up people. I mean, what is it? Wh- what do you think about some of the changes that have been made over the past three months, knowing that um, there's going to be? I mean, the men's basketball program and the football program are going to be. Um, under new authority next year. And that, I mean, that's something that we haven't seen in a long time as well. Yeah, I definitely think, um, like I said earlier, I'm excited for the change. I think um, like football, we had Rich Rod, we got rid of him. And then um, our last one, we didn't have to stay that long, but this time I think we're really looking good. Like I'm really excited for football. And I know we've always been super big with basketball and everything. But I think football is looking in the right direction. I think the biggest one for me that was really a shock was Sean Miller with basketball for men's because he's just been there for so long. Like U of A, Sean Miller, like it just goes. And so I think that's going to be the hardest one and the biggest one to kind of like fill those shoes um, and what that program is going to look like in the future, because I think that's going to have a higher bar to live up to for sure. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I totally agree with you there with Sean Miller. I mean, being there for 10 or 12 years and his kids going there. And so it really seemed like he 
was just part of the community when you talk about Arizona and Tucson. Um, I think, you know, but speaking about the fans too, and just kind of the, the, uh, how you're saying it was, you know, you're speechless and all this stuff that was going on. Um, the last, maybe the thing that left me speech, speechless was how Aaron McDonald with the, just an inch away from draining that last second shot where it was down by one point, And I believe, I believe it was five seconds left. And so what was that like, you know, what were you doing in your seat or, you know, maybe you're probably jumping out of your seat, but um, can you explain just the, you know, the emotion of a live game and just that last shot, you know, what you saw, what, how everything went down? Yeah, I was screaming <laughs> like I do at most sporting events, like hands on the head, like, okay, we got yeah. this, this edge of your seat. Like I thought she had it. I was super excited for us. And like I said, like U of A travels. So even at the stadium for the Alamo Dome, I would say at least three fourths of everybody there was U of A. Like there's a very huh. small Stanford crowd. Like most people there for were U of A. So everyone's energy was like on edge yeah. looking at this. Cause we, I was so ready. I was like, we have this, let me go. I'm gonna start my Instagram live. Like yeah. <laughs> so pumped, but yeah, it was heartbreaking. And it just, I really felt for all the girls on the team because we were so close. Like it was within our reach. Yeah, I mean, it's really as close as you can get to a national championship. It's so oh, yeah. inches away from just sinking that, but it's, yeah. Yeah, and I mean, Nyla, what do you think about the women's team being one of the best teams at the school this past season? I know uh, the women's basketball team, when we were freshmen, they were in the trenches. They were 6-24. and 24. No one was going to their games. And they were basically, they were, they were very down bad. Like they were, they were mm -hmm. in a really, really tough spot with uh, the transition of the program from old players to new players. I mean, just seeing how quick this team has come up and just seeing the way Adia Barnes has really taken charge of this program. I mean, what does it, what does it say about um, not only the future of Arizona women's basketball, but just all the sports on campus that have the potential to do what they just did yeah I think um with women's basketball like it really sets the stage which is why I'm very hopeful for both men's basketball and football um and it just lives up to the U of A name like we are about doing stuff and we do it right and so bear down everything like and so with women's basketball I think the turnaround speaks a lot to her leadership coach Barnes and just like the athletic program in general and what they're what kind of future they see for U of A. And then I also just think it's a huge thing for women's sports. I think you hit on a big thing about a lot of people weren't going to the women's games. They weren't, it wasn't something that students were looking to do. And I think with the wave and what we've been doing for women's basketball really puts us on the map and women's sports in general. And I know y'all probably saw the videos about what the um, weight rooms and different things were looking like oh, yeah. men's tournament versus the men's. And I think it's just a really big pinnacle for women's sports in general that they deserve the same platform energy and like cheering that any other sport does on campus. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with that. And I think Adia Barnes is probably one of the best people to have that is kind of representing women's empowerment and, and bringing up women's sports. Um, and so speaking of, of Adia, what are, what are some things that maybe the thing that you like most about her? I mean, there's, she's such an amazing coach, but is there one, you know, she has so many fun things about her. And so just her passion for basketball, but is there one thing that sticks out to you that, you know, okay, that's, that's why I love Vidya Barnes or yeah, something like that. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, I never got the chance to meet her, which I was really like bummed about when I was president, but yeah. one thing I just love from like hearing people who have met with her and then talking with other folks at athletics is she's just unapologetically herself. And I think that that's volumes 
um, especially in a women's sport, especially as a woman of color, like to just be unapologetically you and doing what you know how to do is inspiring because oftentimes like you're told to fit into this box, you're told what to do, you're told to do all these different things. And so to be able to take over a program, know exactly what you have in mind, what you're going to build and be successful doing it just checks all the boxes. And she is just a fun, happy spirit. And she gets stuff done. Like she is just very about that action. And I love it. Yeah. That, yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Natalie, we, um, so I know Corey told me you're a big Saints fan. So um, yeah. just seeing what the Saints have done um, this past season and then going into next season without Drew Brees, obviously, um, just what does it mean for uh, the Saints just to have that Drew Brees experience that they did over the last 15 years? I'm, and I mean, just what do you expect them to do in the future at, at quarterback specifically? Yeah, that's a tough one. I have been a Saints fan since probably like third or fourth grade. And so seeing Drew Brees leave is like hard. But, you know, I'm super excited. I think it's going to be an interesting spot and see what uh, Sean Payton's going to do with that. He knows how to put things together. He's a schemer, you know. And so I am not worried at all. I'm super excited for like I'm personally biased I'm team Jameis I think that he would be a great like person to like see what he can do with the team and like take it and run with it and kind of build around him so that's what I'm looking forward to we'll see what happens though yeah bringing up team Jameis um I kind of want to talk about the 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 Taysom Hill experiment like you know what do you what do you think about when they brought Sean Payton brought in Taysom Hill and then kind of benched Jameis Winston when he thought was he seemed to be the clear second string guy but then all of a sudden that was kind of a weird when Drew Brees went down with the broken rib injuries and, you know, props to him for him to come trying to come back to and play in the playoffs mm-hmm. and everything. But, but yeah. So, so you feel that Jameis can, he's the guy to get it done or yeah. What do you think? Is it going to be a Taysom Hill experiment again or what? what yeah. yeah I, I feel like, like, I mean, knowing Sean Payton as if we're like friends and I have his <laughs> but, um, he's gonna explore, you know, like I love he uses Taysom Hill Hill now and like, you never know. You're going to run trick play. He's going to be on the, on the field, but you don't know what you're going to use him for. Right. Like, and I, that Sean Payton does that. And so I think early in the season, I think we can see that same thing, like seeing what Hill can do. Um, but I really do think that comparing the two of them, I really think that Winston is long-term going to be a better quarterback for the Saints for sure. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like he's got. I think he's he's got a, a kind of a chip on his shoulder after what happened with in Tampa Bay, mm-hmm. um, and and I think that he can end, end up getting done if if he has the right head coach to, to you know kind of support him and get him get him in the right spot and just give him that chance to be full year mm-hmm. start full for the starter for the full year. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, just also too seeing what the Saints. I mean, seeing what the Saints went through with. Um, just way back in like just 15 years ago. I mean, they were playing in like splitting home games at the Bayou and then they're going, they were going to San Antonio and playing some games there as well. And, you know, it was made for a really bad situation. I mean, Hurricane Katrina really changed everything down there. And uh, once Drew Brees got there, just I think all of the, all of those problems with uh, not only the saints, but just the whole city in New Orleans, it, it, it slowly vanished. And then once they got that Super Bowl, it was, um, mm-hmm. it just seemed like all their problems were gone, but living in San Antonio, I mean, do you think that, 
the city could have an NFL franchise in the, in the near future. Cause I know Jerry Jones is one of those people who doesn't want it to happen and mm-hmm. same with Austin because of uh, the overall board over overall brand of the Dallas Cowboys. What do you, what do you think about that? I mean, my brother's not going to like this because I'm not really a Cowboys fan, but my brother is a diehard Cowboys fan. Yeah. I would love him to be in San Antonio. I think we have the space for it. The Dome is perfect. Like, we have the atmosphere. We have the, the like, the people here. San Antonio loves to get behind sports teams. If you ever come to San Antonio, you drive around, there's Spurs, murals everywhere. Like, we are very much, whatever team's here, we're going to ride for them. And so I think San Antonio would be a perfect location for it. A potential NFL team in the future. Yeah, def- yeah. So I'm going to transition it over to a little bit of Major League Baseball today, mm-hmm. being uh, Jackie Robinson Day, um, April 15th, opening day. Uh, back in 1947, uh, was uh, Jackie Robinson's first um, league in the in the ma- or first year in the majors. Um, and so, uh, a, a very um, interesting thing happened, or honestly, historic thing that happened this year, where the um, MLB All Star Game got moved from Atlanta after a voting law got passed there uh, in the state of Georgia down over to move to Colorado. So I kind of wanted to get your take on that, you know, being kind of being in the politics of uh, student politics. I know you said that you would w- eventually want to get into politics after um, your, your teaching career and, or maybe during teaching career. But um, but so I kind of want to get your take on that, you know, what that means for people that might not know the situation, what that means for baseball and what that means just for the, you know, for politics down in, in the state of Georgia and, and everything going on there. Yeah, I was really, really like shocked when I first read the headlines about the game moving um, out of Georgia. So I was like, whoa, wait, the MLB made a move like that? Like that's bold, that's big. Um, and especially everything that we've seen over the last year, you know, with the protests and the voting and everything that's gone into politics these last years. Um, to see people and to see the MLB make a statement like that in support of, you know, access to voting, like it's something that should be such a simple concept, but we're seeing a lot of politicians push legislation to make it harder and harder for people to vote and suppressing people's right to do that. And so for the MLB to move, um, just to take a stand as an organization, because a lot of times we see the arguments of, oh, well, that's politics. I'm a business. Like, I don't have that's not my wheelhouse. I don't have to make a decision on that, but where you put your money matters and it speaks a lot to what you support. And so I think this is the first of many, I think, Um, maybe not, we'll see with other sporting, NBA, NFL, different things like that. But for a big org to do this shows, just like sets the stage that any business can pick and choose what they're going to support and stand by. Yeah. Yeah, Natalie, I mean, there is, um, I mean, with every move, there's always going to be controversy on both sides. I mean, moving the all-star game from Atlanta to Denver, Colorado, and um, there was some controversy there about why, I mean, about not only Atlanta, uh, the state of Georgia's uh, voting laws, but also Colorado's. I mean, some people argue that those voting laws in Colorado may be stricter there than they are in Georgia and with also Georgia losing the all-star game and an estimated value of a hundred million dollars in revenue I mean what is that I mean what do you think about that for for the city of Atlanta and and do you think that MLB should have looked into it a little bit more closer than they did uh, before making a move yeah I think I mean comparing laws I think is 
something, I mean, I haven't dived into like, look at the complete comparisons, but knowing them will be and knowing how much money's at stake and the partnerships that they make. I doubt that this was like a whim decision. Like I very much believe that they probably looked over this, had many conversations and like looked through what they were making and understood the decision that they were doing. Um, from a city standpoint, I know that a lot of politicians, it kind of woke up city government. It woke up state government. So it's like the, what you do and the bills that you pass can affect your city, like millions of dollars. Like that is a lot of money that's going to be leaving that state um, that was never had to leave, right? There was nothing that should have been done that would have caused them to leave outside of these voter laws that they were passing. Like that's very clearly the reasoning for why they left. And so understanding that money's at stake with the businesses that they bring into your city. And I know um, our mayor here in San Antonio was talking about the same thing is talking to legislators and understanding that the bills that you pass can have consequences for your entire city, for your entire state. And so looking at what those can mean for people as they start to write legislation um, at Capitol Hill and different things like that. Yeah, I mean, it's really a historic time where we're seeing a lot of where sports and politics are clashing heads. And like you said, you, you meant you, you were thinking this will happen more often. Um, and then as far as like, as far as making a change in, in the political stand, do, do you feel like, you know, it's going to be, it's going to take more of these, you know, teams moving or either teams moving or ownership changing or just all-star games. Do you think it'll, that will help to kickstart the change in uh, overall and kind of just in society and politics um, with kind of sports kind of kickstarting the, the change in the future? I can definitely see sports kickstarting on like a very like everyday, like getting it in front of everybody's face type of lens. Cause there's already people mm -hmm to do this movement right there's already people who are trying to and they're very grassroots orgs and they're getting out there they're talking to people but when you see big organizations like the mlb making decisions based on voter suppression laws like says something and i think that's going to be a bigger thing now moving forward is since george floyd there's really becoming less and less space to like keep yourself out of politics because politics is everywhere politics Effects. like the money that gets brought into a state gets put into the budget that can be spent on whatever the city wants to be spent on. Like money gets tied everywhere. You can tie it to any issue. And so I think the biggest thing is moving forward is as we start seeing these companies do more and more, I think it's going to push the envelope and really bring that conversation to every house in America. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, Natalie, as I mean, as crazy as this sounds, I mean, there, there is, I mean, there was controversy to this, to this um, situation, but I mean, they're moving a, I mean, they're moving the all-star game from a predominantly black, uh, African-American city to a um, predominantly white city. I mean, Atlanta is 50% like black people. And when in Denver, Colorado, it's only nine. I mean, how does this hurt baseball a little bit knowing that like, they could expose themselves to some, they could have had the chance to expose themselves to some fans in Colorado and have, have a chance to grow the game of baseball to another, a more diverse community. unlike they would have had to in Colorado. Yeah. I mean, potentially I, I think the biggest thing is what's set in Georgia and there's a higher black population was the MLB MLB going to do anything that was going to purposely target bringing in more people of color, right? Just because just it's in the town doesn't mean that it's going to be a, a accessible for everybody to attend. And I think moving 
due to voting laws or standing up for an issue can also speak volumes to bringing people in, right? Like other orgs are just putting like names on the backs of jerseys, all live, like everybody matters, equity that are putting on side of jerseys, but the MLB made a decision and they made a move that impact and has money tied to it. And so I think the opposite could be said is that by making this move, it's bringing awareness, people of color are looking and seeing, hey, the MLB actually did something outside of just putting something on a jersey. Like this is something I'm going to pay attention to, or maybe I'll actually catch a game this time. And I think it's also important that even though it was in Atlanta is how that money would even reach communities of color. That's a whole other topic of how the money would be dispersed if it was brought into that city. Yeah. I mean, yeah, a lot going on too with the sports and politics. I saw even where, uh, where Aaron McDonald got drafted to the Atlanta dream. It, they, they just changed ownership with, um, with a former senator, I believe it was a Georgia senator, uh, mm-hmm. onto a former, I believe it was a former WNBA player who now owns it. So a lot, a lot of stuff wow. going on in the world of sports and politics. Um, but yeah, I, I love, thank you for being able to, you know, go over that, those topics and all that stuff. Um, and, but I think I'm good on that top. I'm good on that topic. You guys good? Yeah, I, I am good. I, I have all my answers, uh, or I have all my questions answered. So I, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Nyland, I, thank you so much and for having, uh, for coming on, uh, this week. I mean, uh, on such short notice too, I mean, to be able to touch on these topics, I think is pretty important, but, um, but yeah, thank you guys for all tuning in. We'll have an episode next week with a very, very special guest. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll leave that as a surprise to everyone else. But in the meantime, thank you guys so much for tuning in and uh, hope you have a great, west, uh, great rest of your weekend.